Here's three great reasons to get the new Samsung Galaxy S21 5G at T-Mobile. One, it's free for both current and new customers when you trade in an eligible device. Two, T-Mobile's the leader in 5G coverage. So three, you can unleash 5G speeds in more places with your new phone. Get the new Galaxy S21 free at T-Mobile, the leader in 5G coverage. Phone via 24 monthly bill credits plus tax. If you cancel credit, stop and balance on required finance agreement may be due. Contact us. Qualifying credit and consumer plan required. See details at tmobile.com. When it comes to working at Geico, our best advocates are our employees, like Maxine. But since she is so focused on growing her career, we hired an actor to read her story. At Geico, I love mentoring the new associates to help them make this a career and not just a job. And with new opportunities and job stability, Geico has been helping people grow their careers for over 75 years. The only downside, she still hasn't met the gecko. Where are you, fella? Ready to start your career, Kansas City? We're hiring claim sales and service agents. Apply online today at geico.job slash Kansas City. You're listening to the Heroes Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to episode 34 of Kaiju Curry House, the one with the Whovians. I'm not in today's episode, I'm afraid. It's Alex and Joe, joined by Stephen Mansfield and Neil Cole to talk about all things Doctor Who. Just a word of warning though, the episode was recorded over Skype and so the quality is slightly less than usual, but it's all good. So enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Kaiju Curry How Sad Titanosaurus noises because we are not joined by Paul tonight. However, your regular boys, Joe and myself, Alex, are going to be on the show today. We are joined by two utter nerds. Their names are <laughs> Stephen Mansfield and my dear cousin, Neil Cole. Can we say hello, hello everyone? Hello. Good evening. Stephen is, not, Stephen is not a, a nerd, but I am, just to be clear. <laughs> I'm, I was just sitting quietly through that one. I was just letting that. I was letting that hang there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm good at offending our guests as soon as they arrive. No, it's um, not that. It's just that that, that um, Neil said to me, you know, are you actually a Doctor Who fan? And I did grow up with it, and that's a fact. But I mean, this is in the seventies and so on. But w- until I met a real Doctor Who fan. Yes. <laughs> I didn't realise how much I yeah. didn't know, and I wasn't that um, wasn't that into it as I thought. We're going to have to hear some stories on that front. <laughs> Absolutely. No, 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 no. I said that's not being offensive. That that is. I mean, they're remarkable people. It's to do with the minutiae of knowing everything, and also the the very very new series, which I I really don't know an awful lot about. Although I've I've done a little bit of work for the new series and. Um, in my current job, I was involved with uh, a, a, a wax figure of uh, the current Doctor Who. But apart from that, I, um, it's really the old series that I know um, mostly about. Well, it's, well, it's funny that you, anyway. It's funny that you talk about the my, uh, my the minute detail that um, nerds can know about because at Kaiju Curry House we're well aware that there are podcasts and uh, blogs out there, websites that kind of take that level of knowledge of our fandom to a higher level and i don't claim to be a godzilla expert by any means i am a monster movie enthusiast but i'm always looking for new material and 
I think that when Joe and I started this off, it was basically just a case of, well, how can we get friends together watching films and talking about them? That's what this is all about. And after we had our convention down in Stratford-upon-Avon back in 2018, we basically thought, well, it'll be another year before we meet, maybe longer. How can we keep that momentum going? And that's why we started podcasting, to basically keep a dialogue going. Cool. Lovely. <laughs> um, Joe, what have Kaiju been up to? Oh, golly jeepers. There's been lots of good stuff that's been happening this past week. So, um, did I hear giggling? That's me. <laughs> not, not from me. <laughs> All right. So, um, I am, uh, I was in retirement. I was a Magic the Gathering player. And just today, I mean, it's been kind of leaked, so to speak, a few days beforehand. But just today, um, the folks over at Hasbro and Wizards of the Coast uh, that do Magic the Gathering, that's their game, they have announced that Godzilla is appearing as promotional or alternative card artwork in uh, their latest sets coming out. So in the game, you play as what's called a planeswalker, and it's your job to summon monsters and spells to take your opponent's life totals from 20 down to zero. And you do that with soldiers that can be small, or you can do it with things like dragons, which are typically quite big. I'm quite chuffed that Godzilla's now in this game. He's the first character outside Magic's original lore to appear in the game, and I think that's really great. I'm glad that of all the fandoms they picked mine. However, I am going to have to get back into this game now because I played it in my youth and now I have to play it again. Just natural progression. But um, there are uh, different cards. There are a couple of different there are different artworks for different cards that revolve around the same Godzilla character or characters kaiju and uh, it's really exciting that uh, you can go and see this but there's daily magic the gathering where you can see these cards uh, previewed online there are numerous magic sites channel fireball mythic spoiler but you can see the art and it's really fantastic and the cards themselves are actually good Um, they aren't overpowered they're fun to play that said they are large creatures so if you throw them at your opponent so to speak that's going to hurt, and it's going to help win you the game. So I'm just kind of fun with the additional flavor there. I also um, tried to uh, get my significant other uh, to watch some kaiju films. However, uh, we ended up settling on uh, My Fair Lady and Dale, and Dale and Tucker versus Evil. We were I was going to try and push her down Reign of Fire because it takes place this year, but unfortunately it just didn't go over well. This is my shout-out to all of you uh, My Fair Lady uh, fans. That film has the most anticlimactic ending I've ever seen. Spoilers. <laughs> Total letdown. And what I don't understand is how can a film with dragons not draw anyone in? We watched Reign of Fire last week. Oh, and I oh. Tilda, my daughter Tilda loves dragons, and she was blown away with that film. No, oh, it's great. great. Yeah, yeah, it's better than I remember. Yeah, good film. Shout well, out to uh, Steve Wang, <laughs> a guy that we yes. interviewed recently. He did an awesome job with those. Oh, it was Steve, wasn't it? Mm. 
And uh, what he said was that um, a really important thing for him with special effects is that when you scale up the size of a monster, you need to consider the physics of that. So with the dragons, they don't just kind of like flutter around the sky like they're moths. At the end of the day, they are gigantic dragons. So the way they move, you know, the, the movement of the wings will take a considerable amount of power. And we got into great detail about why actually Reign of Fire are the better well, the better story for dragons than Game of Thrones. So there you go. Um, pass on the question, Joe. All right. Neil, what have Kaiju been up to? Uh, I've had a busy Kaiju week. Um, what I've been up to, um, I don't know if you, I'll bring this. I've been fixing this guy, which is a bit of a link to Stephen, to be fair. This is Mestor from Doctor Who, the original surviving mask. I've been repairing him from the twin dilemma. Voted the worst Doctor Who of all time. Um, but I... But I have, a, I have a soft spot for any of these. The underdogs, I love them. I love them. Anyway, and I love Mestor, bless him. And he needed love, so he's getting it. And then I've also been building a... Um, repair, not building, sorry. Repairing blown-up skitter parts from Falling Skies. And I've combined them to make a near-complete upper torso of a skitter for the museum. That's what I've been doing. Uh, and what, what is a skitter? Because it sounds like something that you drop in the toilet when you've had a bad curry. It sounds like what you. It sounds like what actually. Like when I think of this, when I hear skitter, I think of yeah. like the dis, like the disembodied head in the thing that yeah, skitters it's like, away. It's got a lot of arms. It's a, it was in quite a complex creature suit. It's it's a, it's foam rubber, um, and it was puppeted by several several green screen guys. And it had a guy in the costume. So it was like the upper half was a guy doing this and then he had then he wore he had like black trousers on you know with um so they blacked the legs out and then they have mm-hmm. like crab legs insect legs on and it, they were puppeteered it was steven spielberg miniseries if i say miniseries about six seasons or something um sort of a wellsian uh apocalyptic tale it's, it's, it's nicely done my wife doesn't like it because she says it's too sentimental but i just yeah. think she's being very cold which uh, Spielberg is but, never sentimental, is he? Yeah, Ever. No, and then and then, um, but it's a good story. It's a good old, it's a good old solid tale, and the skiers are really great. And um, it was just a, ch- you know, I've just been basically this is a blown up one, um, but I've just been just assembling it on rods and things, just trying to bring it together. So that's been my my week. Now I've got to ask the question, haven't I? To either Stephen or myself, I don't mind who. Well, I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you, Alex, because I've forgotten what the question is. Yeah, it's a uh, what have Kaiju been up to? Uh, what have Kaiju been up to? Is that, that it? That, that, that was beautiful, thank you. That was poetry oh, in motion. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you for asking. Okay, so as of today, it was the release day for the remake um, of Resident Evil 3, which, yes, it's a zombie game. I realise that um, Joe's scowling at me, but yes, zombies aren't Kaiju. However, there are some freaking big monsters in that, so I'm going to kind of wriggle in there. Nemesis is cool. I will give Yeah, there we go. Uh, but like proper kind of purist Kaiju, I'd like to give a shout out to someone that you might know the name of, uh, Joe, co-host Joe, who kindly sent me a care package during these dark times of a book called The Lock by Steve Alton. So thank you very much, Joe, for that book. I will enjoy reading that as we prepare, hopefully, for our interview with Steve. And finally, a little bit more, I have been playing The Son of Godzilla for my daughter, Emma. Because she's five, we've been playing the dub. And you know what? The Son of Godzilla is a canny little film. I like it. It's, it's, what do you think of it, Joe? 
I like Son of Godzilla. I think that I think I've said this before, but the Kamakaris uh, on the island, these giant praying mantis. I think that that was a subplot all on its own. Basically, before this island gets exposed to a nuclear fallout, everything's gigantified because naturally that's what happens when you get exposed to radiation. You don't just die. Um, so they had like. Uh, they they would have easily been like uh, again I'm, I'm, I apologize the Americans going to use imperial now but they would have been 12 15 feet long and at least six feet high these praying mantis and they were in the jungle and this team of scientists was stationed on the island and this new guy basically comes there you know to like just do like a fluff piece on them or whatever and to like view the experiment as it's going on before things go pear shaped and there are, all the scientists are like they have these guns they're like no 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 don't go into the brush. And then like, you see like these glowing eyes of these praying mantis. I'm thinking, wow, that was, that, that would be a really cool concept just kind of on its own. But then we took arguably the ugliest puppet known to the Shawa series and plugged it in there. And that became baby Godzilla. So the film has its high and low points with me. I mean, how I awful like is it. the suit for Godzilla? His eyes are hideous. It just he's, he's such a goofy-looking suit. Can I remember... I, can I just ask, ask Stephen a second? Godzilla film, Stephen, as, a, yeah. as someone who's worked in large rubber suits, <laughs> yes. what, what, what do you think of the 60s, you know, sort of early Godzilla suits? Oh, I, 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 I really like them, actually. I think the, um, the one I always... The, 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 the main film I always think of is, is, is King Kong versus Godzilla, which I don't know where that rates on the... The, the Godzilla. Very high, um, very high. <laughs> well, I don't know, but I really like that one. <laughs> it's, it's highly regarded, and I think especially because it was one of the main films that kind of exposed Toho Godzilla movies hey! to America right, as, an, right. as an export, so it, it's very highly regarded. Talking about um, Godzilla, because um, Neil was saying, oh, well, I would be asking about some of the things you, you've done. One of the earliest jobs I ever had was working for a company called Alistair Botels, which I don't think exists anymore. They were over in Putney. And they used to do amazing stuff, a lot of stuff for Doctor Who as well. But the first job I worked on there as a freelancer, they were doing an advert that was had Godzilla and Godzilla's wife in, and so, and I don't and and I can't I don't know what it was for. I meant to try and find out today, but I forgot. But as soon as I arrived there, there were these big man-sized um, latex and foam suits, and the Godzilla was very much like the traditional-looking Godzilla, and the 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 wife was similar, but she had a kind of dinosaur-type head. I wish I could tell you more about it, but I but I can't. But at least I feel like I <laughs> I can chip in. You, you brought something to the table. Yeah. I bought something. Yeah. No, no, it's it's good. Well, uh, that that's it, thank, uh, folks. Thank you very much. Yeah, goodbye. Um, <laughs> right, uh, Stephen. Stephen, my new friend. What have Kaiju yeah. been up to? What have I? Um, well, of course, we're all in lockdown, so I haven't been up to an awful lot. Um, I've been picking up a few little sculptures that I'm I'm working on here of my own um mm -hmm. but really just not a great deal i can't pretend i've been watching an awful lot either so i've been as I, if i'm working i'll have the radio and stuff on so I, I i don't i can't chip in anything particularly 
significant on you, that. I don't think. You're not doing great, Stephen. I'm not going to lie. I don't think you're coming back. You know. I don't. I don't, I don't know what. I, I wish I'd, I. I could yeah, make yeah. up something if you like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then Why? I couldn't. I could. I couldn't back it up. I could say I'd okay. be watching. Do you realise how much homework we're going to be setting for you? You need to see this. You need to read this. You know. We're, we're going to come at you today. Right. Yeah, let's okay, introduce that's... our guests more formally. <laughs> um. Right. Neil Cole, you were presented in Amazing Interiors, which was a Netflix uh, TV show, short uh, but sweet, on July the 20th back in 2018, where it kind of showcased your classic science fiction museum, which is actually built downstairs in your basement. Have I got that right? You have that right. Yeah, we. Um, I basically collected original Doctor Who props for years, um, tried to repair them and restore them, with the intention of getting a permanent public display. And as the BBC, I sensed, were not caring for the original um, monsters and creatures, as I was financially able to, which was meagre, but I did my best, I sort of managed, I've, I've sold everything. I've sold a dress to get Ohika's gown from the Brain of Morbius. I sold a motorbike to, uh, another motorbike to get, um, I think one of Stephen's pieces, actually. Anyway, but uh, I digress. But suffice to say, once I got that, I, I got this collection, and I, on the point of selling the collection... Quite literally, because my wife said, we're in a two-up-two down, and you can't have the third room anymore for the monsters. I thought, I'm going to have to sell this lot. And um, we just got a chance, an old, stop it, we, got a, we just got a chance of an Osborne house here in Allendale, which is somewhere I'd always wanted to live. And it's a grade two listed, which I realised would come back and bite me big time, but that's another story for another day. Um, and I had to restore, by hand, the cellar. Um, thankfully, I'd done a bit of building work in my time, and over five years, I restored the cellar. Um, we think we've done a pretty good job. It. The village really loves it, and um, I was then able to realise my ambition of actually having a Doctor Who exhibition. And, but done in a way that I had never seen it done. Props sort of really chronologically research pieces in order, trying to tell the story of the classic show, but also um, not to run into mega copyright issues, to be honest. I, I expanded it to science fiction history. Um, and that is, again, chronological, a bit of out of limits, everything but out of limits, H.G. Wells. Um, I, I don't want to talk too long, but that's basically what I'm doing. And I've been very... This is a really big day for me because I'm having a chance to talk to one of the people I've always wanted to talk to, which is Mr. Mansfield, whose work I have in the museum and I've followed forever. Hey. And I'm very glad yeah. that this is happening. So thank you yeah. very much. Um, in which case, um, Neil, can you please introduce our second guest, Stephen? I'll do my best. Right. Yeah. Stephen, Stephen Mansfield is um, somebody I have read about in Doctor Who. Um, literature for absolutely years um, and I think it's fair to say that as I, Stephen and I talked last night Doctor Who monsters had sort of gone into a bit of a melee there was a golden era in the 1970s and there were some shining examples in the 80s but then Stephen came in at the end of the classic run and gave the monsters such a kick up their backside suddenly the monsters are the, several of the ones that Stephen did are now regarded as classic monsters um, and it wasn't just you, you brought in new techniques, upgraded the quality, and also the designs of the creatures were suddenly top-notch. We're moving, I would say, fair to say, Stephen, that the, the Destroyer, you could have wheeled that onto a Hollywood set, and I think lit properly, I think it would have stood up, you know, lit well, I think it would have, that was... It's, it's I mean, that's, that's very kind of you. I mean, I, I think, um, yeah, he does kind of stand up fairly well. I, I always 
I, I always am not sure whether we we made our things silly enough, and I don't know if that. I don't mean that to sound weird. It's 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 whether they are memorable to a wider audience as much. I think they 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 look great and so on. Um, I just sometimes think maybe they were a bit too filmic or something in a funny sort of way. But no, no, I, I'm not. I, I don't want to take away from them. I, 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 I'm glad we did them like that. But and it's kind of you to say. Of course, like it wasn't it. just me. Yeah. I was working with um, Susan Moore, who was we were uh, business partners working together. Um, and on occasion, we had. Uh, Rob Robert Allsop, uh, he came in and worked um, on uh, collaborated with us. So it was a a, a good team effort. Um, but um, yeah, between the the three of us, we we did, I think, do some 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 nice stuff. I mean, one of the, one of the things, if I can just ask quickly, is mm. Moore and Mansfield, the sort of the, mm. yeah working partnership with Sue, is again, it's a name the, the name crop up in the history of late Doctor Who. And it's like a legendary little duo. And I guess one of the things that I've never bo- boiled down to is who did what? How did you agree? Because you're both obviously talented individuals. And how did you work? Because I, I tend to sculpt by myself, and I'm a bit of a lone right. owl, as it were. How did yep. you decide? You know, it's like, I want to sculpt the destroyer. No, I want to do it. I want to do his nose. I want to do his, <laughs> you know, how did you, you know, was the sort of creative tension or were you just a very... You know, just no, it, it it just worked really well. In mm-hmm. insofar as at that time I was working uh, on a nine to five for um, Spitting Image, um, which um, I, I better explain. It's a, it was a TV show that they were caricature puppets, um, and it was a satirical show. It went on every Sunday evening, and that I worked there for f- uh, about five years, and I was there nine to five, and it. It happened that Susan and I were working together, um, uh, doing bits for the BBC shortly before I joined there, and we continued to collaborate, but then I would really only sort of take bits of holiday, work at weekends or evenings on the Doctor Who stuff. So I had this enviable, I I mean, when I think now, it was an extraordinary period of doing spitting image during the day and then the weekends doing the Doctor Who stuff. So I would, you know... Say, like in the case of the Destroyer, I did a maquette, which, um, in fact, we both did maquettes that the the production office looked at. They happened to choose my one, which was fine. So we then started sculpting it. And um, Susan would be working on bits during the the day. Then I would come around in the evening, do some work on it. And it was it was actually very grown up. We never kind of argued over anything. I sometimes used to think she over um, put a lot of um, detail, not detail, but but bumps and lumps and things on which she loved her mo- monsters to have. And I wasn't it wasn't necessarily to my taste. So sometimes I'd say, oh, come on, let's take some of that off or what have you. But then I would mainly be focusing on the sculpture. Then it would be the processing, and if and if um, there were any mechanics or cabling, I would do that stuff. And then when it came to the colouring, Susan would mainly do that. So it was quite a, it was a good, it was a good mix really. And we never kind of particularly argued over stuff ever. It just, it just um, kind of worked really well. Just while I'm, can I just well, since can we cover the destroyer now, chaps? Since we're on, because um, the destroyer actually, yes. is that, that that's, yeah. that's time. That's time for the first uh, for the first wow. break. First break. Yeah. First break. Yeah. Wow. Um, so I'll edit this, this little conversation out. 
Yeah. That was a really harmonious relationship that you had then. But my, uh, my first question was, what's a maquette? Because I feel really ignorant. Oh, right. sorry. It's like a All little right. mo- right. a model um, a model uh, version of what you're going to make. It's like a little test. Okay. It's a reference. It's a yeah. reference. Alex, I've, I've got pictures of all this stuff which when i do the video version of this mm-hmm. podcast mm-hmm. it's all these in and, yeah. and just so joe knows in terms of me 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 but also you the pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film powder donut <clears throat> okay what's my line uh the only line i see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name your price tool from progressive oh man that's a tongue twister huh I'm sorry, I'm going to need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus. The Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool. Only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. These, there's a couple of the monsters that came at the end of Doctor Who before it was cancelled. Frustratingly cancelled. Just as, in some ways, it was taking shape again. Would you agree with I'm that? Gonna, I'm, I'm going to say yeah. right here, you might not know how far back I go. I say I'm not a Doctor Who fan, but Tom yeah. Baker is my Doctor oh, Who. Excellent. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's all right. That's, that's good. Okay. Good, good, good. That's good. But, you know, it, the the destroyer and it's the... all going to be all right now, isn't yeah, it? It's yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was a bit worried earlier, but yeah. now I think we're right. going to be just fine. Oh, yeah. terror of the Zygons. That's that's what it's all about. Yeah, terror of the Zygons. Super. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, right. Well, t- I think yeah. we've introduced things quite nicely. So let's uh, take our first break and then jump right back into it, gentlemen. Recently on the Heroes Podcast Network, Echo Station. Well, what's the main think... what's the main planet that Endor the forest moon of Endor? It's a moon, so it's there's a major planet, obviously. That it is the forest moon of Endor. Is Endor the actual planet then? See, th- isn't that confusing? <laughs> yes. Is it the forest moon of the planet Endor, or is it the forest moon called Endor? Screen heroes. If the MCU gets that, then I really think that Space Jam needs to be part of the DCEU. Yes! Okay, because... <laughs> they have a big Marvel versus DC crossover where Air Bud takes on Space Jam. Man, we should write for these companies. <laughs> That's it's Air Bud versus Bugs Bunny. That's, That's what it's right. all come down to. One-on-one. Yes, done. All right. And then, like, at the end, it's Galactus versus LeBron James. And oh, Squirrel Girl wins. <laughs> Red Shirts and Runabouts something we've talked about before and other people have, but there's, there's so much of real life history involved with Star Trek from Gene Roddenberry's days, his time in the military as a, as on, on a bomber pilot, as a bomber crewman, you know, James Doohan serving all these people and all these real life events that have impacted things. That's very realistic of political and military leaders kind of resigning in protest at a decision they can't control. Subscribe today at heroespodcast.com. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, Podcast Addict, and more. Hello, and welcome back to Kaiju Curry House. Tonight, we have two special guests, which is a first for us, Mr. Neil Cole and Mr. Stephen Mansfield. Both are Doctor Who fans, so I am learning something tonight. I am joined by our regular guest, Alex. Gentlemen, I think that we were just about to start talking about the Destroyer, or at least that's where we left off. Neil, you had some questions. Yeah, um, one of um, this is a the, talking to Stephen tonight is quite interesting because I have, as I said, I've followed Stephen's work for so long. Um, there's certain sort of questions that I've always um, been itching to ask. So one of them was, and I'll let you, Stephen and I have actually spoken about this before, was the actual influence for what 
is now a classic Doctor Who monster. And um, I always thought one of my favourite movies going back is Night of the Demon. And when Stephen and I were talking, uh, I was, and Stephen very kindly sent me a picture some while ago of the, I don't know if you know that film, guys, The Night of the Demon, the Jacques Tournier, or how do you pronounce his name, wonderful old black and white film. Um, and I was just wondering if Stephen could um, give us, you know, your feelings on Night of the Demon and how it perhaps influenced The Destroyer. Well, it, it, it without a doubt, influenced it because it's one of my favourite films. I think it's a terrifically atmospheric sort of film i think i mean in in england it's night of the demon it's curse of the demon i think in the states and in other countries but it's a fantastic film it's based on the old mr james uh, ghost story casting of the runes um and it is it's got great cast It's, it's black and white very atmospheric but there is a monster in it there's like a demon in it and the demon, I don't think, appears in the book, not in that form in the book. And and it does divide people in terms of their appreciation of the film, because a lot of people just don't like it, don't think it should be in there, makes it a little bit schlocky. And there are other people who love it. Now, I'm in the, the on the side that love it. I think it's a terrific uh, bit of special effects there's a kind of mask like a close-up mask there's a, a smaller model that kind of looks like it's running through the the forest and it's i think it's just so weird and 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 yeah. spooky it's perfect and when we came to do the the destroyer um we didn't know a great deal about the the um story except that there was a rumor going round that the the brigadier and the brigadier was one of the great um uh, regular characters in the in the in Doctor Who, and he, it was going to be killed off. It was he was going to be killed off. It was going to be the big moment of the season, and that it was he was going to be killed off by a demon. We did these two maquettes, these two little models. One was more traditional, which was my one, that was heavily influenced by the Knight of the Demon, and Susan did one that was much more alien. And it just so happened that the tone of the thing was quite um, traditional, so. They went for the one that I did, which I was delighted about. But it was very feral-looking, the one that I did, rather like the, the – the, the, I mean, it wasn't a complete steal, but it was the, the general feel. And um, then we discovered, once they commissioned us to do it, that it had dialogue, and it just wouldn't have worked with this, this kind of um, set of jaws. It would have yeah. looked silly. So we yeah. then had to make it look a bit more um, – have more of a human physiognomy otherwise it would have looked daft with you know when it was trying to speak but um in the end because of the way it was shot and because of the style of it and i think it has a very 80s style in terms of the way that it's modeled and so on it has also has a feel of the character in legend which um the character tim curry plays darkness um except that he's red and the destroyers blue they they're both strong colors and i think people w- tend to feel that that's where they, where it came from but really it was certainly in my mind it came from that that film yeah um the other thing that was interesting about that head when i was looking back at pictures of you making it was i always imagined it was you made it you made this the underscore you put the, the skin on it yeah and it actually again there was about four of you working on it, it was like tony clark am i right and uh um, that's right yes Rob Alsop, and it was just yes. there was such a lot of work on that one head yes, and who are yes. those who are those people 
Well, t- t- Tony is um, is is a great mate of ours. He's actually an animator. Works in the theatre now, but he's uh, he was a, a friend and um, was interested in the work we did as Doctor Who fan as well. And we would often call on him if we were basically running out of time and um, we needed extra hands. And Tony was an artist, and he came along, and so he did um, a lot of. The, he cast up a lot of the. We did wax heads of it that it gets blown up at the end of the the episode and um so he cast up some wax heads for us mm-hmm. and robert because because the horns were so big but had to be light robert had been working on something else uh with susan actually for another episode and he said oh well there's this um this kind of bandage it came from um it was a medical uh, material and it was a bandage that you, um, I think you heated it and it and, it, and he basically created the the horns using that stuff. So that's using his special knowledge of costume costumery and you know um, and the materials connected with that. Um, and it was perfect. So so we mm-hmm. would on occasions just think, well, actually we've got a bit of a problem here. Who who would be a good person to call in? And you know it, it was a wonderful group of friends we had around us so they, they they would often chip in see i've got a question um it's much more of a novice one um what is involved in wax sculpting and i'm asking that as someone who knows literally nothing about it and um, for many of our listeners who might have never heard of wax sculpting beyond what they see at madame two swords what oh, is right. involved of that what is the process of wax sculpting the pro well the it's it's you don't i mean the 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 wax is really only the 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 material that the things cast up in um you you basically start off with a clay um a clay sculpture and then that is molded in plaster or silicon and then the um the 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 wax is poured in um and the the wax obviously it's liquid and it pours in and it kind of dries and draws off to make a kind of shell um okay. and the the wax heads are normally about an inch thick something like that so so it, it is however still up to a point malleable so if you look you know when your figure you've got your head in front and you think oh i wish i'd you know made the nose uh, you know the bridge of the nose a bit sharper you can then delicately model the wax still you can Mm -hmm. you know because it's still malleable but you wouldn't sculpt the whole thing out of wax it's it's it it starts off as clay it's just those simple questions that i think when you don't know anything about it you overlook Mm -hmm. because i I genuinely thought the whole thing is made out of out of wax um so it would be hugely heavy and quite fragile so the heads and the hands are normally wax on on the figures and the 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 bodies are fiberglass but again they're they're tailor-made as well um it's just that it's much stronger and and lighter in fact going way back when madame tussauda was doing it 200 years ago she she none of them were ever made fully of wax and then her bodies i think were were made of um straw and wood Mm. and stuff because my notes that I've got on you, Stephen, are that you started off as a visual effects assistant. How did you get into wax work specifically? And apologies if I've got my notes wrong. I've kind of searched online, but you're relatively elusive on websites for information. IMDb has very little about you. Right. Yeah. No, they well, because we were freelance, um, uh, Susan and I. Um, and Robert at that point, although he gets credited now because um, 
Um, yes. the, the whole business of the credits is different. But in the old days, you, you, you really only got a credit if you were the, the designer in charge or um, you were an employee of the BBC. So we, we, we wouldn't have been listed, certainly for Doctor Who or any of that stuff. Um, but no, the, the, I, I had quite a, a journey to, to Swords. I mean, I, I, I started, um, I did a foundation year at college, which I didn't, I, I'd start, I managed to get some work. I didn't particularly enjoy doing that. Foundation courses, I mean, they're, they're designed, I think, really for people who don't necessarily, they're artistic, but they don't necessarily know what they particularly want to do, yeah. which is fine, and they work perfectly. However, if you kind of know what you want to do, yeah. you kind of spend the year, you know, Ooh. thinking, oh, I don't really want to be doing this, or I'd rather be doing that, and so on. Anyway, I managed to get some work on an old Jerry Anderson um series called terror hawks doing some um trees some palm trees and then uh, then um that's when i first came to know susan and so we started doing bits of work together and we decided to think right well we'll, we you know we complement each other well on this work let's go and try and get some work she'd already done some bits for the bbc and then so we went down as a partnership and managed to get more and through that we got Doctor Who, and we did that for the three years. Then I started working at Spitting Image, which I did for five. Mm-hmm. Then I went and worked for a bit when they, they were set up in Camden. Then I set up my own company with a different business partner. Then through that company, we started doing little bits of work for Two Swords. And then I did, went and did a, a, um, a trial at Two Swords because I've always been interested in portraiture. And whenever we do any kind of visual effects or what have you, um, we, we used to get a lot of work doing dummies of, you know, portraits of actors for dummies, for special effects dummies. Or in Doctor Who, we did a melting head of a guy who, who, who melts uh, at the end That's of the cool. episode. Um, and that, again, it, I, it was quite nice. We did get a lot of portraity type stuff but i but i always kind of had my eye on two swords because i remember going there as a child thinking oh this is an extraordinary place must be extraordinary working here and it is extraordinary working there but um and and it's and i've been there for nearly 20 years now so it's oh, wonderful been good yeah can uh, i just re- can i just take since we're just you've mentioned melting heads yes yeah. You, um, for Raiders just, of the Lost Ark, what? Yeah, well, yeah, very similar, actually. <laughs> yeah, very similar. Um, going back, except, to- do you know when we when we did that? See, I'm, I, I shouldn't have come on here because I'm completely showing myself up because I'd never seen Raiders. I still haven't seen Raiders wow. of the Lost Ark. What? Never seen it. Nope. I know. <laughs> I know. what, mate? If right. you're sitting well, in your home anytime soon, that's a great <laughs> film. I'm, I'm I mean, hanging you up. can't I'm go out. Well, <laughs> guys, it's. It's fine. You can get by without seeing it. It's perfectly okay. And and when we're discussing this with the visual effects designer, I think also they probably had the production, had it in mind it would be a bit like that. Um, But I'd never... So I'm not sure it wasn't a bad thing because I wasn't remotely influenced. Like, I suspect Susan had seen it. But I think... uh, and, And it was only much, much later. We weren't allowed to use anything that looked like blood. Uh, the, or anything that was red in it, yeah. it, it just they they just vetoed all of that. And so when I've seen, I have seen the one in Raiders of the Lost Ark now as a clip. Still haven't seen the, <laughs> the whole thing, but it it really does. It's quite a shock thing. But a lot of it is the 
the blood, I think, coming through. Absolutely. We weren't allowed to use any of that. So can I kind I, of can I, can I just mention that head because this is MythBuster, right? This is Doctor Who. This is what I was trying to get the bottom of. Number one is it's current. It's always said that that was what you were using was Raiders of the Lost Ark for that effect. So a that's news to me that that wasn't effectively you weren't working from that. Well, certainly uh, nobody ever said it's yeah. got to look like Raiders of the Lost Ark. I mean, it, it's fairly clear now someone must have had it in mind as an idea, but yeah. it um, it really, well, it certainly had no, I had no effect on me because I'd never seen it. Well, the other and thing was, in, in the museum, there is a, a melted cane head, which right. is probably the most photographed melting cane head, but it's the one from the Longleat exhibition. And right, I just, yeah. since I've got you on here, I was just wondering, was that made, because it's downstairs, I know the guy who had the actual surviving underscore that all the wax had gone from. Right, did, you right. make, did you make, um, was it, first of all, Edward Peel, the actor who played Kane, he didn't, yes. he didn't want a life cast, is that right, so you had to sculpt his face, was that right, is that right? No, he, well, he may well have been happy with a life cast, but we didn't want to do one only because it was he had his mouth open mm. and we were just thinking i mean there are ways of doing it and and people do but we just thought oh actually it's a bit of a, and and i was you know champing at the bit to do a portrait so um we we kind of thought well and i think susan probably said well if you think you think we can get away with it you want to do it well we'll we'll do it that way but but and yeah. that that is the route we went but um yeah, we we it, we we did a portrait of him, took a mould of that, a plaster piece mould, mm. and so that you had you could then get the wax skin out of that, and then because it was a plaster piece mould, it came off the portrait without damaging it, and then we then worked into it and made the skull and the you know all of the the blurgy bits underneath, mm. and sections of it were latex because um, we wanted to be able to inflate them to push the skin away. Yeah. Because the whole thing had to be, in fact, talking of myth-busting, I saw the, the DVD of this about a year ago, and the director mm-hmm. reckons it took about half an hour to melt or something like that. Now, we spent most of the day at the studio, because as you know, they record in the evenings, or they used to record them in the evenings, up to 10 o'clock when everything shuts off, and they leave the visual effects and it's often why some of the effects are a bit ropey and you'll you'll hear lots of people complaining about this is because the effects aren't necessarily anything to do with the narrative they're pushed right to the end otherwise you'll miss a scene that has that's important to the story so that stuff normally got left right to the end of the day and we knew this would probably happen and in fact halfway through the day or halfway through the afternoon getting on for tea time we were told to go home that they weren't even going to do it they weren't going to get to it start packing up Uh and we were then suddenly with them for dinner and all the rest came back and then we were suddenly told no they want to do it and they want to do it in about 10 you know it was now getting on for 10 o'clock and we literally did it all in about from about 10 to 10 5 to 10 something like that and we just had to run in dump the thing down they push the cameras into it close we're there with the hot air dryers and mike tucker and um alan marshall the effects assistants they were doing the same i was working the pump things for the the gunge and stuff and it was really done really really quickly and it it melted did its thing 
and the lights came up, you know, because everything goes off at 10 o'clock. So yeah. it, it why is designed. that? Why does everything turn to a pumpkin at 10 o'clock? Because it's to do with, I believe, I mean, it may be different now, it was to do with the unions in the sense that yeah. a lot of creative people will just go on and on and on and on and on. And if you've got your set made, you yes. know, and you're running out of time, if there wasn't a cutoff point, then it, it, it would all, you know, people would be so going on. The, the risk is that the creative directors or any kind of figureheads would basically exploit by kind of saying, come on, one more take, one more take, one more take, and That's then it would right. just go on yeah. yes. indefinitely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah. And, and in a way, it's it's not fair to most of the team. No, of and course it, not. It, and it did focus people massively, but you will often hear people like myself, for example, bemoaning the fact that, oh, we, we had to do it at 10 to 10 or something, whatever it was. If you, if you need any any history of Doctor Who, you know, uh, stories from actors way back from everyone, everyone is 10 o'clock. And, yeah. the light, and there's like the lights were going up, weren't they? In the middle of scenes in some cases. So you've been oh, in the God, middle yeah. of yeah. So people will be acting away. Yeah. yeah. Suddenly the lights will go up well, and then the yeah. floor manager will say, yeah. sorry, everybody, that's it. Yeah. And that's it. That was it. Well, <laughs> well actually, Neil, um, yeah. at Kaiju Curry House, one of our favourite things are funny anecdotes and the amount of stories that you've shared with me throughout my life, Neil, where you've talked about some of the quirky sets and because of kind of the union influence on how things have been oh, left out and have just looked gonna... out of place. Can you can you give us one? Yeah, the best one, I think, what makes me laugh, and uh, Stephen, you may recall this, um, and Joe might recall this um, for that because you've watched Tom Baker, um, was the stepladders. In robot, you know Tom Baker's first story with a giant robot, and yeah. um, all the way all the way through the show, I love it. I love it. It's there's an extra co-star. He's not in the titles at the end, but he's a pair of stepladders, and this was at the time where it was highly uni- you know, the unionisation was absolutely you know militaristic, and the electricians no, it was the scene movers, uh, what was it, scene shifters, and the props guys were separate teams, and there was a set of stepladders in the middle of the set. And they didn't clear it out on time to start filming in the evening. And so somebody went to move it. One of the actors went, I'll just shift this. And somebody went, don't you dare. Put that back. Or we're all going out. It's, you know, close shot. We're off. You know. And um, and you watch Robot, and it's great because it's just there. And they had to just film around it. So they had to think of ways of trying to incorporate a pair of bloody stepladders in the, in the film. And it's just... This, and it's just... It just keeps popping up. It's like, oh, there's a lab scene. Oh, there the stepladders are. And, of course, you kind of you start to mentally block them out as a viewer. But it's just really it's really funny. It's just the stepladders are just there. You know, no I mean, one it, is, it, it is an extraordinary <laughs> thing. I, 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 I might be wrong on this, but I always was led to believe. It's so like the police box. So the police box part is a piece of scenery, I think. Yeah. But yeah. the light on the top is is the lighting people or something mm-hmm. the same with the 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 inside the tardis the set is obviously the set but the mm-hmm. control panel is visual effects so you know it is everybody it quite rightly has their own areas of expertise and and in a way there's nothing wrong with it it just when it's an exaggerated a case like you just mentioned it does seem really ridiculous but i have to say the 10 o'clock thing as frustrating as it is you can absolutely understand why they would have why they would have done that mm. and on that note it's time for us to take our second break me 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 me, me but also you the pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film powder donut <clears throat> 
Okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Me, 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 but also you. The Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name your price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The name your price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello everybody, welcome back to part three of Kaiju Curry House. A particularly stunning episode featuring Joe, Alex, the glorious Stephen Mansfield and somebody who stumbled off the set of 1970s Survivors. Uh, I'm modelling mine on the character of Charles from an episode where he stumbles upon a, a, a religious group in the woods and he hasn't shaved for a few days. <laughs> that, that, that's no way to speak about yourself, you're my dear. My cousin! I love my, my cousin! cousin. My cousin, teach some cousin, partner. <laughs> um, Joe, I understand that you have some questions for Stephen Mansfield. All right, Steve. I always love the I always love the practical uh, questions um, because I've tried sculpting and the like myself. I'm quite amateurish, but I'm really interested in knowing what the pacing was for like, from start to finish when you got an idea that you needed to have a concept of a creature or a monster down to the finished product. And then I'm also curious, like what materials were you allowed to work with or what were you given to, you know, bring forth these creatures? Like how did you take them from imagination to finished product? And what was that process like? It, well, it was, it, there was, you know, again, I'm probably saying what every person who who's worked on the show does is there's never enough time or money and uh, my memory was that we never really had much more i don't think we ever had anything like a month like four weeks so we may have had three weeks or something prep and we would go and have a meeting with the uh, designer or sometimes with the producer and the director to discuss whatever it was we were we were about to do and then we'd just go back and 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 crack on with it as quick as we can because you know you've got a very definite um cutoff point which is the obviously the studio days and when the stuff has to be in there and i i do remember you know you'd go right down to the line with it where you were fighting for hours and you'd be doing all nighters maybe the night before the the studio to get the thing ready and and done in time so the i I would say about three weeks would be about average for it and um we would use all sorts of material i mean mainly latex i would say um sometimes um two-part foams um fiberglass um but you know and very occasionally foam latex um but foam latex it was um notoriously kind of um um tricky to use you know it's very expensive and it can you know one minute it can work the next minute it doesn't you have to give it to specialists to 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 cast up your stuff uh, for you so we we used a mixture of stuff we we just tried to use whatever was 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 suitable for the job um but yes no never never much time and and really um and and the money, I would say, we um, 
you 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 did it because you you loved doing it and you um, and we were given a lot of opportunity on on the show i mean considering i mean i would have been 23 or 24 when i was doing this and so i was designing things and sculpting them and so on it was an amazing opportunity so um i certainly wasn't going to argue but we but you 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 wouldn't have made a we certainly didn't make a fortune out could of it I, could i bring a, a doctor who related thing in on that yeah uh, right take as an example of what joe was saying yes. uh one of your other classic monsters is the hemovore i think most doctor yeah. who fans would agree that looked like a lot of masks to make for me to make to my mind as somebody who sculpts a bit you had the ancient one which was a an absolute bit like the gilman wasn't it a bit creature of the black lagoon yes. sort of yeah. and you had um then a lot of half masks full mask quarter masks and that just looked like a huge i know you said last night to me that was they were quite quick and i'm thinking wow that looked like a lot of work to me how long did you have for say for christopher fenrick Again, uh, I would say the same sort of time. What, in, in my only um, thought about that was that, that it was all done on location. So we might have been fortunate in that we could have delivered some of the masks. In fact, I, this is in fact I remember now. A lot of the um, all the other characters, other than the ancient Hemavore, were delivered first. And then he was delivered later. And I remember us going down, driving down to the um village wherever it was and um uh, and and delivering it so you you could it, we really wouldn't have had an awful lot of time and then we would have been able to really again push it toward the end and say well look what do you really need on what day oh well we need these for the for the first week and then you know you've got another week because we will have that the second week but mm-hmm. um they they didn't uh, i mean the the ancient hemovore was designed by um a brilliant um uh designer called ken true ken true been working on doctor who way back when john pertwee was doctor who he designed the original masters outfit and um did lots and lots of monsters and he was still working on it he was great mates with jnt and he was working on it you know when obviously but when we were and so he was given the hemovore to do, and then visual effects had already come up with an idea for what they thought the hemovore would look like, but the producer didn't like it, I don't think. And so it was then given to Ken. Ken designed this kind of, um, uh, I suppose, I want to say elephant man type looking thing. It was it was a, an extraordinary looking uh, character. Um, and then we were we were asked to make it. And then we went and did a meeting um, about this character with Ken and the makeup designer, uh, uh, Dee Barron, was there. And she was saying, well, look, my plan, because the, the hemovore, the ancient hemovore had quite a big head. Mm-hmm. She said, my plan for the other hemovores is I'm just going to ask you to get bits of latex out of this head in, from different areas. And I'll just glue them on to the actors and then I'll just make them up every time, you know. Anyway, in the course of the meeting, it's the fact that they've got a, a dip in the water. There are so many shots with them. The weather was dreadful, etc., etc. Always, always likely to be dreadful. She said, "I don't think I'm going to be able to do that." And then we said, "Well, why don't we just do masks?" And um, mm. it, they basically um, put their budgets together, and we we did, I think, three ver- three other versions that were less. 
um, advanced than the ancient hemivore, and they were, you know, they were relatively easy to sculpt. They they were quite formless looking things, but then they got more and more um, human looking the less uh, advanced they were. And and the main theming on them was that they had to kind of look like they got suckers and tentacles, and yeah. we yeah. kind of worked out in our own mind that the the um, that that whatever inf- the hemovore infection was or what have you, because there was some link with vampires and so on as well, that, that it kind of got you through the veins and the blood and that, that then your veins would turn into um, tentacles or something. And so when you look at them, there are bits of skull and bits of mm. body still part of them mixed in with the, yeah, mixed in right, with the hemovory right, stuff. And that was um, and and that was the kind of idea. But you're talking about the creature of the Black Lagoon. I yeah. must say, and I really only got this. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> again, this is me. I love the creature from the Black Lagoon. I have seen that. I love all the old Universal films. But <laughs> Susan had put these gills on it. Again, it wasn't in the design. I think she just thought, well, I, actually, because she, she's very good in terms of, she got a very good design sense, and she just said, I think I, I'm. It's just a massive. It's just a blob, this thing. I, I feel like I want to tie it up a bit. And she put these amazing gills on it, um, which we then put bladders in so that it kind of it moved. They kind of inflate as he breathes. And then I, it was only very recently I saw a, a, the creature from the Black Lagoon again. And I can see his gills going in and out. And I'm looking, thinking, they look <laughs> really familiar. And she has really just mm. pitched them off that. But it really does finish it off. It makes it look like a like a um a final form rather than and like it's organic like it's yes, like it's alive yes. the sad yes, thing yes. is the sad thing folks as well as i um in my sort of hunting old monsters down um i actually found that costume about four five or six years ago and someone had bought it at the, the, the bonhams auction in the bbc and unfortunately it left it in a sunlit room oh no yeah in a in a it bought basically five um, classic Doctor Who monsters, which I got, managed to grab, get one, which is the Garm, which is down here, which I've managed to restore. But there was Stephen's, and it's a beautiful costume as well, isn't it? It's intricate. It's, it is. In fact, that that yeah. that's Robert. Rob Allsop did the the body and the costume for it, and that he he was given. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I must tell you this, Neil. You'll love this because I think he yeah. he he got he was just given access to the. Um, the, the science fiction part of the BBC costume store. Wow. And, and Ken said to him, it just needs to be made up of lots of bits and bobs. There's loads of old Doctor Who stuff here. Just help yourself uh-huh. to it and capitalize yeah, yeah. it. So he used lots of old stuff and really, I mean, some cracking things that, you know, you wouldn't want necessarily to, to re, you know, to break up or that, but they all, they all then yeah. reappeared in in his outfit so yeah it's a beautiful it was just there it was in the sunshine and i remember the guy who was selling me the garm i i just saw it and i knew because I'd, I'd started restoring by then that anything under in a it was a prefab unit so it, you know at night it was going to be freezing so everything is going to yeah. contract sunshine yeah. was hitting it with no curtains in the day so when i went in it was like you know a hot house so this rubber is going to be contracting expanding contracting expanding it was just in the sunshine lying there Mm-hmm. It was this, the ancient one, and I, I was just, I, I just said, I offered what I could at the on the spot. Went, look, I'll take this now, mm-hmm. but he, he just wouldn't, you know. And it was just yeah. a shame, and he was just leaving them there, and I was just. Ah! Anyway, there you go. Speaking of props, Neil, um, yes. as we as we're starting to draw to a close, how many props do you have that were made by Stephen Mansfield? 
I've got a little list here. I can, I can no, I can tell. Yeah, you. If I, uh, no, 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 no go for it. I've, seriously, I've got part of a tetra, which again, if we'd had longer, I would have, I would have asked Stephen about all of this. But I've got part of a tetra. I don't know if you did the hands, Stephen, but I've got a hand. Uh, uh, no, no, they would have been standard those, but we would have painted and dressed them. So, right. Yep, I've got yep. Ura, Ura, Urak's hand. Uh, then I've got from Delta and the Bannermen next. I've got Stephen's gorgeous rod puppet for the baby. Um, which there was yeah um i don't know if you want to mention that it was a little little green baby wasn't it um it was a a horrible little baby that 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 grew up to to quite an um quite a nice quite a nice young lady in the end didn't it i don't know very quickly yeah and then then basically there was there was soldiers costumes in that i've got the adult soldier which i if we'd had time i'd have asked Stephen about where basically the makeup girls apparently made the masks which and I've, I've re-sculpted it to Stephen's designs recently, which um, basically the mask apparently was a draconian mask for Hoovians out there, which apparently the makeup girl, I think it was probably a 24-hour job, cut right. the draconian mask down, glued it on the face, they, they sprayed a Blake 7 um, Scorpio flight suit green, sprayed the actor's faces green on the day in the quarry, then just painted latex over the mouth, stuck a helmet off from like a World War II helmet, and then said, right, off you go. Apparently, and I was going to ask you about this, John Nathan Turner had a, a dicky fit when he saw them, which I can't yeah, I, I, And I wouldn't be at all surprised, because as you're telling me that, I'm absolutely staggered that they they did that. I'm yeah, well, it's, I, I had a really a really furious Blake 7 costume collector, a very prominent um, Gary Holland, who's a lovely guy. He came on and he said, have you taken the green paint off your Scorpio flight suit? It was BBC vandalism, and I'm going. Well, no, it's it's a shimmering to me. And he went, yeah. no, it's a score. It's one of the seven's costumes. Anyway, he'd done that. <laughs> he'd painstakingly taken every bit of green paint off his. Um, oh. Typical, I know. Typical BBC. Um, you know, but, but the baby, bear in mind, they're they're kind yeah. of doing what Robert did with the Hemophore. Is it? It's in their in it's in their their store and they, they won't be thinking too much about that they'll be thinking we've got no money we need some yeah. sort of spacesuit oh let's get that one and spray it green so yeah well then, i mean then, that's yeah and then in terms of other props alex and joe i've got yes, uh, a, 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 a complete hemovore which I'm very pleased with, except the hemovores were like um, all from different time periods, weren't they? So they were like, yeah. I've got I've got the Arctic sort of like Mallory and Scott sort of Arctic hemovore costume. I had, oh, right. head, I had Stephen's mask, one of the full face ones, half mask or full face, and then the the wig. It took me ages to work out what was wrong with the wig that came with it. And it's the flapper wig, so it's off the 1920s flapper girl. <laughs> And which she had a half a face, didn't yeah, she? Yeah, she had half a face. Half That's half, right. So yeah. I've got, but so he's got a funny hairstyle, but it looks, it looks good. It's all cool. Yeah. And then I've got parts of the destroyer. Um, I've got the wax. I got off Sue Susan. Moore. It was the wax head. You know, the mask that you took the wax castings off. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah yes. the mask. Yeah, uh, and then I've got one of the hands, which is very nice. And I'm trying to think what else. I've, I'm sure. Oh, I've got cane. I've got the the long leap melting cane. The melting cane. I Brilliant. would like to. I'd like to cautiously open a can of worms, so bear with me here. Uh-oh. How, uh, Neil and Stephen together, how would you think that special effects within BBC Doctor Who has changed over the years since you were working in that, Stephen? And I'm I, not uh, inviting kind of a slating of it. I'm interested in more kind of a, a practical no, sense. I, I, well, I would. Uh, I think it's probably. Uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't say they've probably got more money. I, don't, I think 
um, comparatively, I mean, what are we, 30 or 40 years later? It, they probably still don't feel they've got enough money to do stuff. Um, I would, I think the materials that they they uh, have at their, um, uh, you know, that they're able to use now, they have much more choice and, and a lot more interesting um, materials. So I think that that's probably going to be a help. I think at the end of the day, it's down to the design of the things and I suppose if if I have what what I used to love about the old series is that it every episode um except oddly for the in the last years when when sometimes they would lump two or a couple of stories together but generally every story had a different designer and set of people working on it so you end up with a with actually the old doctor who visually and stylistically is a bit of a mixed bag um, but it meant that you got some amazing ideas coming in from random people who who would probably rather not be working on Doctor Who, would rather be doing something else, but they, they come up with something wonderful. Um, I think now the way, um, and in fact it's not just Doctor Who, it's any TV program, they, it has to have a tone about it, it has to have a, uh, there's an overall stylistic look and what have you. Uh, from, to my, from my taste, and this is the important thing, this, I'm not, not dissing it for one minute, but to my taste, I sometimes think it, it's not as... Um, yeah, somehow imaginative or mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, kind of out there as it could be. And then, of course, the, the massive difference uh, in terms of nowadays is the um, the proliferation of CGI. So many of the yes. creatures are, are not even not even there anyway. They're, they're digital uh, compositions. Yeah. So um, it's that I would say is the main the main sure. it would have been the well, massive difference. As it happens, it is time for us to begin wrapping up, which is a shame because I feel that we could I continue can talk this. All night. Uh, I, can talk all night. <laughs> I don't There's doubt it. In the fridge to be had. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's an interesting type of lemonade. I've not heard of that before. Yeah, um, <laughs> what I would suggest is if Neil and Stephen would be up for recording with us again, we could sit down and we could maybe target around something thematic for an episode. What do you think, Stephen? Definitely. I'd definitely be up for it. I've thoroughly yeah. enjoyed this. Oh, it's been lovely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Right. Splendid. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Let, let's do that then. Um, Joe, can you lead on our concluding section? Right. I'm going to have a recommend... And I'm going to have an advisement. So I would, I'm going to go to the first Doctor Who uh, episode arc that I watched, which was Tom Baker's Terror of the Zygons. And it is about the Loch Ness Monster for all intents and purposes. And I had a fun time with that. It got me hooked. And that carried me well long enough until I started watching the newer things, which may or may not be your cup of tea. But if you want to go and see some good classic Doctor Who that I know about, at least, I recommend those episodes. Um, as for my advisement, um, I mentioned at the start of this podcast that uh, Godzilla is now appearing in Magic the Gathering. Um, I pre-ordered my box of cards earlier today, and I just checked the pricing on those. If you want to get any of Godzilla cards, uh, it's £99 for a box. Or you can pay a minimum of 40 quid for any one of the Godzilla individual cards. So they have gone up that much. So here's, here's, your, here's me telling you, go for it. <laughs> yeah. 
So there you have it. Uh, and for myself, if nothing else, my recommendation, I, I will give you two. I'm not going to go for my favourite Doctor Who story arc because my... How can I put it? Now, I'll start that again. Um, the Doctor Who story arc that I'm going to recommend is not one that I think on paper is great. It's very unpolished. But to return to your point, Stephen, about the interesting ideas coming through mm-hmm. and the creativity. So without waffling any further, I'm going to recommend what I think is called the Green Death. Have I got the name of that right? The one yeah, that yeah, that's very good. Yes. That's yeah, a good yeah, and yep, yep, um, yep. that is a story that choices yeah and and i I watched that as a young kid and i i I shat a brick watching it because there were these gigantic maggots there was this which is not good there was this sort of this growing green infection and at the same time you got these quirky almost pantomime villains who are the master master uh, minds behind the scenes literally behind the computer screens and it feels really camp and cheesy which that for me sums up what I loved about uh, Doctor Who growing up. So it's a John Pertwee story. It's not perfect. It is quite hammy at points. And there are times when you look at the the monsters and you think, wow, that looks great. And there are other times where, for whatever reason, the green screen effect just looks awful. And you go, oh, dear me, that's not aged well. But... It is a cracking story, and it's interesting. It takes risks, and that, for me, is why I enjoy monster movies and monster sort of creature cinema, because it does interesting things. So that's my recommendation for Doctor Who. And then I will further recommend that you sit down and watch Creature from the Black Lagoon, but you watch it in 3D, which is the way that I saw it with Joe. And, Joe, can you very briefly explain why I watch it in 3D? I wanted to tell, or more like show Alex, why this film is such a technical achievement. So it has a very iconic monster in it, but the film was actually meant to be 3D. And the whole gimmick is that when the fish are swimming around the Gillman, when you're going through the weeds, when the Gillman like swims out at you, you are in this watery void with him, and it has a great effect. But the technical achievement of shooting that with film cameras under freezing cold water in 1954 with two cameras on a dolly shooting simultaneously mm. and then lining that up in a cinema so that they would uh, interframe with each other correctly, that's a huge technical achievement because it was all analog and it's a fantastic bit of filmmaking and it's also a fun story too, but I can't say enough for that, that technical achievement, what they did underwater, which would have been hard enough on land. But, yeah, Creature from the Black Lagoon, incredible film. I wanted Alex to see it. And, and it was wonderful. Yeah, it was a really, really good experience seeing it with you when I traveled down to the southwest. Um, Neil, if nothing else, what is your recommendation to our listeners? Oh, crikey. I mean, I would be saying... Sitting with Stephen here, the uh, season 26 of Doctor Who box set's just gone out, and I, I think if you're going to experience season 26, which features the Destroyer and the Hemovores, that's a damn good, probably good way of seeing it. I haven't actually got it yet myself, but um, Curse of Fenric definitely, um, I would say, definitely go and see that. I'd also, I've just watched season 18, which I really love with Tom Baker, and my other non-Doctor Who recommendation is 
go for God's sake. Go and get off Amazon for about 15 quid the season one of The Outer Limits. If you love monsters and you haven't seen The Outer Limits, the original series and it's good value, go and get The Outer Limits now. Black and white. It's like film noir, beautifully filmed. Some duds, some good anthology sci-fi, but some great cast. Martin Landau, Dave McCallum. Great at early prosthetics. And in 1963, I think it was, same year as Doctor Who started. Quite interesting comparing Doctor Who, the BBC, with the first season of Outer Limits. Quite a fascinating show. Anyway, I love it. And um, so that will be me today. But go and see, get the curse of Blinken Fenric after listening to this. What are you waiting for? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah just, I, just, naturally, just I agree up. with you. <laughs> Come on, get the curse of Fenric now. <laughs> well, um, t- to conclude this episode, um, Stephen... If nothing else, what can you recommend our dear listeners? What can I recommend? Well, I, I tell you what, yeah. if, if, if for Doctor Who say, uh, Doctor yeah. Who say, I, naturally I'm going to agree with Neil on that one. My own personal taste, and one, uh, are, there are two stories. There's the, they're John Pertwee stories. They're the Sea Devils and the Demons. They're, they're the really classic, good old um, uh, stories. It's a great Doctor Who, great assistance, the same combo from the Green Death that, that, that you're keen on. And I, I, I would highly recommend those. For films, I would pick any um, classic Hammer film. I, I'm, I've got tons of them here, and while I'm in lockdown, they're mm-hmm. perfect to, to just go to. Um, Dracula, with Christopher Lee, Peter yeah. Cushing, if you've got if you, if you've got them to hand, you're, you're you're in business. They're fantastic films. They're they're basically grown up fairy tales. Now, when you look at them, there's lots of lots of, of lovely moments in them. I would just give them a whirl. They're they're fantastic. Some of them. Yeah. Well, perfect. Yeah. Uh, I think this has been an absolute delight, and I think that we've we've opened some doors to future discussions. So please let's sit down again and do this sometime. Thank you very yeah. much to our two guests. Thank you. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you. Very much. Thank you. Brilliant. Okay. Thank you very much, everyone. Thanks for joining us at the Curry House today. If you enjoyed it, why not visit heroespodcast.com to see other shows in the network. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can tweet us at currykaiju or join our Facebook group, UK Kaiju Fans. Thanks very much, and we'll see you next time. Right, everyone, everyone quite happy? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, I've got, my, yes. I've got my Guinness. I'm fine. Okay, excellent. Everybody's drinking but me? Yeah. <laughs> Where was this party? I didn't get the invite. Well, we, we had to... We thought, I thought that was what you did. I thought that was I got, idea. I got water? <laughs> oh, no. All right, two ticks it, now. It's Let's because not, um, Joe, Joe's body's a temple whilst mine's a brothel. Yeah. <laughs> Here's three great reasons to get the new Samsung Galaxy S21 5G at T-Mobile. One, it's free for both current and new customers when you trade in an eligible device. Two, T-Mobile's the leader in 5G coverage. So three, you can unleash 5G speeds in more places with your new phone. Get the new Galaxy S21 free at T-Mobile, the leader in 5G coverage. 
phone via 24 monthly bill credits plus tax. If you cancel credit, stop and balance on required finance agreement may be due. Contact us. Qualifying credit and consumer plan required. See details at T-Mobile.com. When it comes to working at Geico, our best advocates are our employees, like Maxine. But since she is so focused on growing her career, we hired an actor to read her story. At Geico, I love mentoring the new associates to help them make this a career and not just a job. And with new opportunities and job stability, Geico has been helping people grow their careers for over 75 years. The only downside? She still hasn't met the gecko. Where are you, fella? Ready to start your career, Kansas City? We're hiring claim sales and service agents. Apply online today at geico.job slash Kansas City.